and uh, that you, you can identify as a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. You can identify as an American or as British or as Chinese. You, I can identify as a diabetic. I can identify as all sorts of things uh, that are true about me. And uh, identifying myself as same-sex attracted is just being honest. And, and I don't think of it as coming out so much as letting other people in. I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. We got a special guest, Greg Johnson. Yes. And he has written a book uh, that just came out that we're going to be talking with him about. But I, we remember Greg, you remember Greg, and yes. I do, um, from back in our days in St. Louis. Yeah, he was working at the seminary. He was a seminary student or postgraduate student. Yeah. Um, he was working there. Uh, we had some similar friends. Yeah. I went to, we all went to the same church a, a bit. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, we hung out with him and, and knew him just as a, as a person. Yeah. And then it's been here a couple decades. Yeah. And um, we're going to reconnect with him today. Uh, his book, Still Time to Care, is about uh, the homosexual uh, life in the church yeah, that's right. and the controversies that surround it. And, he's, it's a- and part of the reason that he wrote it is because he himself is, um, well, we'll ask him how, you know, what kind of language to use, but yeah. he is gay, he is a homosexual person, uh, and a pastor of a church, and believes that, that homosexual sex is sinful, and so he has remained celibate for his entire life. Um, mm-hmm. He talks about in the book how he um, has uh, never so much as hold a hand with anybody, and he's been celibate his entire life and is committed to that uh, because he has no sexual attraction to women at all. Yeah. Well, let's uh, start the interview. And, yeah, and... here we go. Greg. Greg. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, it is so good to see you. Yeah, it's been yeah, a long it's been time. a while. Yeah. How's the uh, memorial? Well, we're we're surviving. Um, you know, uh, it's um, it's a strange time to be memorial. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, we've weathered the pandemic. The center has held. Um, you know, we're we're paying our bills. Okay. People are joining. Yeah. All the kinds of things you want to see happening, even sure. in the midst of the pandemic, uh, and just weird denominational stuff that makes none of us really want to be in our denomination anymore. So it's just kind of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How are things in St. Louis otherwise? Yeah. St. Louis is doing great. I mean, the city itself is, is thriving. At least the central corridor of the city is just, you know, there's cranes on every corner, a lot of construction, a lot of, you know, young, young people moving in. And, uh, you know, St. Louis has been working through racial stuff for about, you know, seven years now seven and a half years that's uh starting to see some progress but there's some stuff that's not not changing nearly rapidly enough and Mm -hmm. and uh you know the church scene here is good there are a lot of great churches in st louis there are a lot of great counselors in st louis it's just it's a, a spiritually very um uh rich town to be in largely because of of covenant seminary's presence you know like if somebody says greg can you recommend a good counselor i can recommend like a hundred of them wow which in a lot of cities it's like no not really (laughs) yeah yeah well i just finished reading your book this morning yeah uh i got it i don't know a week ago or so a week and a half ago and yeah it's fantastic he couldn't put it down that's true i couldn't put it down (laughs) uh yeah i i read a lot but that's uh I think I put on my Facebook this morning that that's that's the best book I've read this year, uh, with with no question. Um, I don't read as much as I used to because I'm pretty busy with seeing patients and all. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. I appreciate the work that you put into it. Yeah, you know, uh, it was uh, that was my pandemic project when when you know everything went on 
on lockdown and everybody was doing virtual church for six months and nobody wanted to meet with me except on a Zoom call for 20 minutes instead of, you know, driving someplace and meeting for an hour and a half and driving someplace, just, you know, all of that extra time that I'm I'm still a pastor, I got to do something with it. And so it it was, you know, I I don't know that the book could have gotten written without all of those extra hours that were, that nobody wanted to meet with me. (laughs) <laughs> so now you're meeting with thousands and thousands of people uh, via book uh, now, uh, and we're still in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So I hope uh, I hope a lot of people ask for it for a stocking stuffer uh, this year. Yeah. Dave, you haven't read the book. No, haven't read it. You don't read very much. Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but you don't read very much. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm illiterate, at least. Maybe I'll get that book for you, for a stocking stuffer. Yeah, he won't let his version go. He's going <laughs> to hold on to it and cherish it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. i got to mark it well, up. Well, you have to admit, it is, you know, just, just the graphic design people at Zondervan really hit a home run on this one. Sure because did. just visually, like, this is a book I would pick up and look at just because it's a pretty cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one on Facebook. I put the uh, the picture of my myself. That's not so good, but along with the book yeah. because that the book cover makes a great picture. It was a bittersweet post, you know, <laughs> Willie's face in your book cover. Aww. People are like, what do I do here? When yeah, it's do got I like the little rainbow like toggle switch, you can <laughs> yeah, toggle right. it on and off. Yeah. Is there a so-so button instead of like or dislike you? <laughs> yeah, so I like that's this part of the picture, and I don't like that part of the picture. Oh yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Greg, I remember being at your house uh, regularly for Bible studies. I don't know if you remember that, but but you led a Bible study, and my wife and I used to come over to your place for Bible studies. And I told her that you, uh, that when I was going to be interviewing you today, and she said, oh, yeah. She said, uh, I don't know if you remember, Catherine, but uh, she oh. said, when, when we would go over there, she said, everything in his house was so... Uh, in order and in exactly the right place, and everything was just just so. And she said, I, I felt compelled to put something out of order every time we went to his place. Oh, she's sabotaging you, man. Yeah. And she said, uh, I asked her to, to come on here, and she didn't want to. She was embarrassed. But she did tell me, it's okay to tell you, that uh, when we would go over, the main thing that she would do, you had a beautiful statue of a mother and child, which is probably Mary and... And she would turn it. That's all yep. she would do. And every time we came back, it was turned back the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> yes, I, I never let anybody see me fix anything. It's <laughs> oh, just, I uh, you know, I had, I had a roommate, David Filson in seminary, and he would always, you know, I always had my bookcases, had a lot of books, and my bookcases were always such that each book was almost exactly one inch back from the edge. Yes. So they were a perfect, smooth thing. They weren't all, all uh-huh. over the place. And he would always just walk in and, look at me while I'd be working on Hebrew or something. And he'd take one and he'd pull it out an inch or so and just stare at me. And then he'd have to go take a phone call or something. And, and he'd come back in and I'd be, and I will not have moved, but the book will be back where it was supposed to be. Uh, As if you know. by telepathy. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey man, yeah, we I had a lot, to... a lot of Bible studies. That I, I was in that same apartment for nineteen and a half years, yeah. and there was almost always a Bible study or three happening in there. Um, just so many people through so many decades. Um, I, I fixed so many cocktails in that apartment. <laughs> you fixed. I, I, I had my first Cosmopolitan that you fixed for me <laughs> there. I'm not a big huh? fan of Cosmopolitans, but it was good. But it was the 1990s. I'm it was sure. the 1990s, yeah. And <laughs> I also sex, re- sex in the city. It was the it drink. <laughs> That's right. It was the it drink. Um, and and I also remember a costume party that we had up on the roof of that building. Uh, yeah. And uh, my wife dressed up as a pencil, which was more interesting than it sounds like. But um, I had a I remember a, a bright yellow suit, and Greg, you dressed up as a rabbit. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember that. It was fun. It was mm. it was like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy. You know, uh, um, doing ministry in one place for a long time, you you see a lot of people, and and in St. Louis, you know, um, there's always this like 
core of a hundred people in your church that are going to be there forever. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another hundred or 200 that are passing through at any given moment yeah. for a few years because they're seminarians, they're grad students, college students, right, they're right. their first job, they're, you know, they've got young kids and they're getting ready to move to the suburbs where the schools are better. And, you know, just, you, you get a huge amount of people for a few years. And so uh, uh, one uh, former pastor of Memorial, uh, George Scotchmer, back in the 1960s and 70s, mm-hmm. he pastored, and he called it the parade okay. because there are the people watching the parade go by, and then there's the parade going by, and it's mm, it yeah. hasn't changed. You know, 50 years that the basic culture of the church has has remained significantly the same. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, we want to um, we want to lob up some questions and let you. Um, drive them out of the park uh, with things that you've articulated many times over by now and that have, have gone into your book that, that I haven't read yet. Um, but, but Willie, yeah, I like my eggs. There. <laughs> I that? like my eggs over medium, <laughs> which is very hard to do because they can be, if you know, one second to, to, to shorten they're they're runny and disgusting, uh-huh. like something you did as a kid. And then, five seconds too long and you've got hard boiled all the way through. So it's, it's that magic. It's, it's that, was that your first question? How I like my eggs? Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> again, the, uh, the, the mind reading and the telepathy powers. That's everybody asked me that. Is that right? <laughs> okay. Well, you should have put that in the book. I don't remember yeah. that in the book. Do <laughs> um, you want to start? Do you want me to start? Go you, ahead. Go okay. ahead. Um, yeah. So can we just dive right in? You, you comfortable with that? Oh, I'm fine. Just uh, I'll fire ready aim. All right. So, um, yeah, so we're interviewing uh, Greg Johnson here. He's written a book, uh, Still Time to Care. Um, He is in the middle of some denominational controversy. And we want Greg to articulate for us his uh, perspectives on on the issue of uh, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and uh, life as a Christian. And so I'm going to start off by asking the question, do you believe that same-sex attraction is a sin? Oh boy, that's such a sloppy question. But that's always. <laughs> I, I agree. I, he told me that question. I said, nah, I don't know about that question. I, it, it, it's getting at something, but I. Mm. Yeah, it depends like, well, on what well, you mean. Yeah, it depends on what you mean. You know, and and uh-huh. calling something a sin implies that you're you're talking about what the Westminster Confession calls actual sins, as opposed to original or indwelling sin or right. internal corruption. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the fall has affected all of us such that we experience um, internal corruption in, in all areas of our life and body. And that includes uh, sexual attraction to anyone that you're not married to, um, because God did not design you to uh, God didn't design straight people to. Uh, uh, be sexually attracted to their neighbor's wife. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that, that's an effect of the fall. It I think is, we yeah. can say. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, you got somebody like me where my sexuality is a hundred percent sinful all the time. And then you've got, you know, straight Christians where it's only sinful 97% of the time. And I'm just not sure that extra 3% is a big, you know, is, is a big righteousness to stand upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a great way. So to put yes, it. Yeah. anytime, anytime I feel a homoerotic attraction toward another guy, I understand that that is indwelling sin. That's my, my internal corruption tempting me uh and that's something i'm to resist but um but when you ask it like is it a sin you know is it a sin to be tempted that's that's not helpful language i don't think um you know i think uh uh, there is always sin within temptation but the bible does distinguish between being tempted and acting on that temptation whether it be at the lust level or the, the body level Mm-hmm. Do you feel that when um, when people ask that question that they're trying to lead you? Oh, that's that's been the classic trap question for uh-huh. years now. Yeah, that, that's that's what the the kind of angry guys like to ask to to try to do a gotcha. And yeah. it's interesting because in the Bible, the people who always do that to Jesus are called Pharisees, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know Leading that they should they yeah. should really pause. Like, am I really trying to do a gotcha on a on a pastor? That's that's not like that's shouldn't I ask him yeah. to explain his own views and then follow up with questions instead of doing the gotcha? But yeah, yeah they, well, I was trying to think of questions I thought that you would have heard over and over again um, yeah, that you're ready to yeah to articulate on. 
Um, so I'm, I'm trying to throw softballs. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> maybe no, that's good. It's a good yeah, distinction but, because I think I think a lot of PCA people, even just from reading the AIC report on homosexuality, which yeah. is 60 pages long and doesn't even 60 pages about gay people and does not even once say that God loves them. Mm, mm, uh, mm. I mean, we're talking about a very flawed document. Yeah. But um, theologically, it's fine. But I, I imagine most straight readers would read it theologically and think, oh, same-sex attracted people have this thing called concupiscence or indwelling sin. And is, this is different from the rest of us. Right, and that's, that's right. Not, it's not his intention. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of John Frame and his triperspectivalism. And so much of what I read in the theological statements and documents and stuff— I would say normatively are right, but existentially are so far off. And uh, that is super important. Yeah, yeah. Just pastorally, it's not a helpful yes, document. Exactly. I can't imagine ever using that to help anybody. Right. Um, right. It, it might get PCA conservatives um, a little less anxious, but um, but it doesn't seem to have done that. Um, hmm. and, and I can't see it being a pastoral document at all. There's just nothing in it that could, gives pastoral care for, I mean, the, the main experiences that gay people have when they become Christians are massive amounts of shame, uh, and an incredible loneliness and a sense of loss at the possibility of ever being coupled. Mm-hmm. And those were three things that that, that, that 60 pages did not address the big three pastoral care issues, mm-hmm. um, because for most of us, our biggest struggle isn't with sexual sin. That's, that's, I mean, my, my struggle with sexual sin is no different than any other man who's a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you look aside, you try not to save up an image for later recall. You have covenant eyes on your phone. You have accountability. You mm-hmm. proactively spend time with people. So you're not alone all the time. And, you know, places you don't go and things you don't look at and things you ask forgiveness for when your mind goes there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's no different because right. of sexual um but for a lot of us the biggest challenge is is to give and receive love because when you're married and have children you have every hour on the hour an opportunity to give and receive love mm-hmm. when you're you're celibate um you have to work at that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i um appreciate the work that you have done with that uh, i know that you've got a lot of lifelong friends that you have uh devoted yourself to and people who have devoted themselves to you as well i know that you've cultivated that and that's wonderful yeah yeah you know i've got one friend i mean he would have been in the same bible study that you were in mm-hmm. back 20 years ago who he and i have gotten drinks every thursday night for it's about 15, 16 years, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, our, my friends, Eric and Michelle Kenyon have been, they moved here almost, what, 18 years ago. And he's an elder in my church. And she was the second person I came out to in college. And they've, I've been in their home hundreds and hundreds of times. I'm having Christmas Eve dinner with them. Uh, I've got another elder in my church that for 20 years, he's gotten my covenant eyes report and we've met for coffee on Thursday mornings. Mm-hmm. And so that it's just having long-term intentional uh, sibling relationships where yeah. it's not just friends. It's really a sibling. It's, it's somebody mm-hmm. who knows everything about you and it isn't shocked. And, you know, you, you have refrigerator rights in their house. You don't have to ask permission to open the door of the refrigerator yeah. because yeah. you're, you're family. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's needed for all people, and especially for all single people, um, whatever their sexual orientation, because straight single people, widowers, people who are divorced, all have this same need to give and receive love and to have community and to have family. And, and Jesus' design was that that would happen within the church as primary family. Yeah, yeah. As, it seems to me, as I read the Gospels, as best as we can tell, Jesus had that with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, refrigerator yeah. privileges. And, 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 you know, John, the, the disciple, the one he loved, because yeah, yeah, yeah. he would, he was the one reclining on Jesus chest, mm-hmm. but then in revelation sees him and freaks out and falls on the ground as a dead. So <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it will change there, but um, yeah, you know, there, there was intimacy. Uh, there was family. Let me ask you this, uh, going back to the book. Um, okay. So at the beginning of the book, you do a phenomenal job of articulating the views of four different 
historical heroes that most of us people who used to call ourselves evangelical I, I don't know if I I don't know if we Dave and I have talked a bunch about this I don't know if we're supposed to call ourselves evangelical anymore depends on how what it means uh I, I don't in some circumstances I don't like it in other circumstances I do anyway yeah that yeah. we love heroes that that uh that we love so Lewis and Schaefer and Graham and Stott let me ask you this uh which of those people uh do you most identify with Oh boy, that's a tricky one. Not Billy Graham. Uh-huh. Um, probably John Stott just because of he, his celibacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I do relate to to C.S. Lewis as as somebody who was an atheist before my Christian conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh and he was also unmarried for all but four years of his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was he was straight. He says that homosexuality was one of two temptations he had never experienced, or two two uh 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 enemies he had never met on a field of battle the other one being gambling uh but um yeah i i can really relate to stott and i can relate to 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 lewis as well um you know schaefer his his whole world and life and existence was so foreign to me yeah even though i would i would have probably been one of those people in the 1960s going to labrie asking lots of questions mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah cuz labrie was a place where Gay men and lesbian women were, were always there, yeah. and he would take them in, and uh, and he would defend them, and he would believe them when they told their stories, and uh, and when they became Christians, he understood that that you know uh, receiving Jesus into your life does not change your sexual orientation. He'd say it's not magic. You know, we're still in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, while we're talking about identity, I think that word's gotten a lot of heat. Uh, here lately. Um, can you articulate your thoughts on that? What, what does it mean to identify as same-sex attracted or not? Um, you know, I yeah. think people are, are dwelling on that a lot. So, Yeah, they've kind of fixated on that notion of identity and, mm-hmm. and have really weaponized the notion of identity in Christ to, to silence people and make them invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, a, a, when a non-straight Christian says that they're gay or same-sex attracted you know there's there's always some well-meaning abuser <laughs> mm. because that's what they're going to do who's going to try to, to to tell them that that you can't be both of those and be a christian you can't be that and be a christian you, your identity is in christ mm. Mm. which you know when anybody shares some vulnerable difficult hard part of their life to shut them down is a wicked thing to do yes. and we've trained our members of our church to do wicked things to people when they mm-hmm. open up about what may be the most traumatic experience of their life mm. is coming to terms with their sexual orientation and the fact that it's not likely to change in this life. And so, so if by identity, you know, this is going to be one of these, you know, uh, uh, if by whiskey kinds of things, maybe, but uh, you know, if by identity, you mean what you aspire to be and who you see yourself at the core and the thing that you're going to change everything, you're going to change your beliefs and your practices and everything in order to fit that identity, then to identify as, as gay is, is idolatry because Mm -hmm. you've just put that where Mm -hmm. God wants to be. But, um, but if by identity, you mean things that are true about you, Mm-hmm. Um, Luther confessed a dual identity. He said that, that every every Christian, every follower of Jesus is still used to set pacator at the same time, a saint and a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that you, you can identify as a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. You can identify as an American or as British or as Chinese. You, I can identify as a diabetic. I can identify as all sorts of things uh, that are true about me. And um, identifying myself as same-sex attracted mm-hmm. is just being honest. And, and I don't think of it as coming out so much as letting other people in, uh, right. letting people see a part of me that they might otherwise not know but wonder about. Um, yeah. Because you, know, you, can't, you can't live life as a non-straight person and not have people ask you questions. And if you don't want to lie or be massively evasive mm-hmm. and damage your integrity as a human being, then you've got to be able to talk about it in appropriate settings. 
And I think what I see a lot of people doing is harping on identity as a way to silence people and make them invisible. Mm -hmm. We want you to just Mm -hmm. look and act straight because we don't want you queering up our ecclesiastical space, which is already Mm -hmm. big and span. Um, (laughs) It's already spick and span. It's clean as a whistle. Um, yes. So, yeah. so, so, yeah, I think a lot of it, this boils down to the gospel. You know, if, mm-hmm. if the gospel is at the heart of the church, then the church is a safe place to be a sinner loved by Jesus. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, how the fall has affected you. If it's, you know, struggling to break free of a pornography addiction, if it's that you're an angry person and you're trying to repent of that, it, or that if it's your sexual orientation, or if it's mm-hmm. some physical malady or a mental illness or depression or, you know, inability to have children, whatever, however the fall has affected you. If a gospel culture is present in a church, then it's going to be a safe place for you. And if a gospel culture is not, it will not be a safe place for you. Um, You know, people saying you can't identify with your sin. I'm like, well, um, I am a sinner. It's something I am objectively. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, the identity that names and claims me. Right. It's not what you're hoping to be or what you're, yeah. No, I'm not aspiring. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, 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 and, and, and in terms of the trajectory of, of history, both canonically and redemptive historically, we're all on our way to singleness. We will all be celibate Mm -hmm. in the coming age. Just said that there will be neither marriage nor, nor marrying nor marriage in the, in the, at the resurrection that will all be like the angels. And that was in response to a question about, you know, a woman who a widow or who had multiple husbands and which one would she be married to? And he says, it's none of them. Um, and uh, so that's pretty clear teaching. I don't think you can take like a Psalm or something with some imagery of the coming age and children in the streets and say that that, that trumps a, a clear statement from Jesus. Um, and so we're all going to be celibate someday. Some of us are called to live in light of the ethics of this present age in marriage and others by God's sovereign will are called to live in light of the ethics of the coming age and celibacy, which, which functions in the new Testament as a, as an intrusion ethic, mm-hmm. um, ethic of the eschaton breaking in. Uh, and, and St. Paul says, you know, I wish all of you could be celibate like me. And he says, mm-hmm. yep. Later in that chapter, First Corinthians seven, that uh, the man who marries the virgin does well, and the man who does not marry does better. Yeah, well said, sir. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, and you touched on this. Let me lead it a little bit further to let you continue to articulate. Why is it important that the the PCA or the church? Um, uh, in general, uh, not try to stuff this in the closet or keep it in the closet. Or, well, you can have those struggles, but hush up about it. Um, your identity is in Jesus. So silence. Yeah. 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 You know, um, well, what that, what that does um, in pushing somebody back in the closet, which is what they're trying to do mm-hmm. to everybody living life in the closet. Um, you end up becoming in Well, it's what James calls a double-minded man, but but it's it's language that Augustine talks about in his treatise on lying, where the, the the biggest damage done is to the person trying to maintain two realities, one internal and one external, because they become a bifurcated soul. And uh, and that's a cruel thing to do to somebody because what we need, what all of us need, is to be able to to be um, Full, to have full disclosure and complete acceptance. Uh, that's, that's what the gospel gives us. That's what Jesus gives us. Um, he sees us in all of our brokenness and he embraces us and loves us in that. And uh, for me, when, you know, I always had some people who knew my story, but it was always shared in private, never in public. And, and I found that I had to constantly evade questions about Greg, is it there anybody special in your life or Greg, you're 35 now, Greg, you're 38 now, Greg, you're 40 now. Why are you not, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that gets really tedious and it does damage to the soul. But what it also does is it denies the gospel's ability to be a healing balm to the sinner because it wasn't the um, ex gay straight projecting, straight acting Greg Johnson that needed the gospel. Mm -hmm. It was the same sex attracted Greg who needed the gospel. 
And if you hide that, Greg, then you're hiding the gospel from ever reaching that, Greg. When you wear a mask, mm-hmm. it always does damage. And the, the shame and the loneliness only increase the mm-hmm. longer that mask is on. And the gospel gives us the freedom to be defective and loved. Mm. And I think there are those in the church who don't want defective people around. Mm. Um, and and it, it is funny. Yeah. It is funny because the people, those people tend to be the most angry, slanderous people I've ever met. I mean, mm-hmm. the things they see online are just scandalous, but they're convinced that they're better than mm-hmm. people like me. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Um, so I guess one of the the points of controversy that began with Revoice um, is being called a gay Christian, right? That's sem- this is a semantic question, right? Yeah. Is that a, is that a, a you want to speak to that? You know, it's 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 not a phrase, it's not a particular couplet that I have tended to use, mm-hmm. um, and it's one that I avoid in my book, just like mm-hmm. I avoid the phrase "struggling with same-sex attraction," mm-hmm. because um, historically, gay Christian was the gay Christian movement was an affirming movement in the UK, uh, and I don't want any historical confusion, but also just old Christians. Um, they hear the word gay and they don't hear sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. What they hear is, um, you know, gay bathhouses and orgies and pride fest and, you know, guys walking around with children nearby when in buttless chaps waving balloons, you know, that's that's what they do. Uh, while anybody under 40, that gay is just the opposite of, of straight. They, mm-hmm. Anybody who grew up in the 1990s, they, they, there's none of that there. Mm-hmm. And so so I have chosen to not use it, largely just out of love to older Christians who don't understand. Um, those who do use that phrase, gay Christian, are only trying to say that they are both gay and they are Christian. And those are and the tension between those two is the defining drive in their life. Cause they're, 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 you know, somebody's like, Oh, so you have a, a girlfriend? No, I'm gay. Oh, do you have a boyfriend? No, I'm Christian. You know, it's just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. those are, those are two big things that in a culture war between the gays and the Christians going on 30 years now, um, they're the people who exist in the no man's land uh, suspected and denied by both sides. And so, um, and so, yeah, when they try to use that that term, that's all they're trying to say. They're not trying to say, you know, they're not using gay as an adjective to describe their Christianity. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody has such a thing as a gay Christianity. I've never heard anybody talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I avoid it just because people get so upset yeah. and they get so confused. And, and granted, I don't know. I can't hold the anxious hand of American evangelicalism forever. <laughs> but for now, yeah. I will. And, and, you know, but what we all need to learn to do is to quit judging each other over semantics. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, let somebody describe their experience using their language and love them and serve them and be a friend to them. Mm-hmm. And when God brings them into his kingdom, uh, understand that sanctification is not toward heterosexuality. Sanctification is toward holiness as the image of God in us is renewed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. it's helpful sometimes like if, if you're hearing somebody say something and you know, cause that language of same sex attraction that was developed by the reparative therapist. That right. was a part of mm-hmm. therapy. And you know, the first step is to say, no, I'm not gay. I'm just struggle with, I'm just a straight person who struggles with same sex attraction. And so, you know, if you, you're talking to somebody who's been through conversion therapy, you can't use that language because that is opening up a very painful wound for them as a survivor mm-hmm. And I've known a bunch of RUF pastors who have told me that that they can't even use the language of same-sex attraction on campus because it's so identified with conversion therapy. Right. Mm. So there's 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 no yeah. neutral language here. It's all problematic. It's all fraught with difficulty. As for our listeners who who don't understand what you're talking about as far as therapy and and the X, uh, you know, correction movement, can you talk a bit a, about that? I know you have it's a, a good section of your book. Yeah, the, 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 the rise and fall of the ex-gay movement, um, about 700,000 of us went through it. Um, and Willie, when you were in seminary, I would have still been identifying as ex-gay in, in private with people. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't even know that I had yet 
picked up the language of same-sex attraction because it was brand new in the in sure. the 2000s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ex-gay movement began in the 1970s um, when um, uh, Frank Worthen, who was a 40-year-old, very successful gay businessman in uh, San Francisco, had a conversion, uh, a very radical kind of charismatic conversion. This is Jesus Movement, mm-hmm. 1970s California, and got plugged into a charismatic church um, and... Uh, his pastor encouraged him to start uh, sharing his story. And he did a tape called the brother Frank tape um, that uh, on a cassette mm-hmm. uh, about how he became a Christian and how um, he was delivered from homosexuality. And he um, advertised that in kind of the smuttiest magazines and newspapers in the city by the Bay. And, um, and out of that grew a ministry called Love in Action, um, which was, and then as other ministries followed suit and formed, they gathered together under the umbrella of Exodus International in the late 1970s. There was a, uh, a book that uh, Worthen's pastor, a guy named Kent Philpott, uh, wrote, uh, and in it, he took four or five of the people from Love in Action and told their story, changing their names. Mm-hmm. about how they had been converted from gay to straight. And as soon as it hit the stands and these people read it, they said, wait, this is not what I have experienced. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to walk faithfully with God. I have not experienced any orientation change. My temptations have not changed. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I haven't started being attracted to the opposite sex. You've totally misrepresented me. And eventually through lawyers, uh, the, the publisher stopped print. But at that point, so many thousands of copies had spread. And this is before Snopes.com when you could just go and check and see something's a fraud. And so then you had all these people coming to California looking for the gay cure. Mm -hmm. And Frank Worthen was saying that he had a 70% success rate in converting people from gay to straight. And and early on, that's exactly what they were aiming for. They were not trying to, um, you know, just lessen temptation or something like that. You know, they, they yeah, were aiming. You said yeah. Frank Worthen said when we started at Exodus International, the idea was that you could convert from gay to straight. If you can find out what made you gay, you can address that and figure out how to become straight. And then alongside all these ex-gay ministries, and some of them were very charismatic and Pentecostal, some of them were more uh, reserved, conservative, evangelical. Um, some of them were. Um, uh, deliverance Ministries, Leanne Payne was big on the Deliverance Ministry. She said that uh, curing homosexuality is very easy. It's as simple as praying. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was the origin of the Pray the Gay Away was mm-hmm. good old Leanne Payne. Um, and you had um, others who, you know, you you had exorcism ministries, though I don't think they were ever welcome in, in uh, Exodus International. They were kind of on the fringe. Um, and then you had all the, the secular reparative therapists, um, which was the by the certainly by the 1990s, um, the, the prominent form of conversion therapy to convert you from gay to straight was reparative therapy. Um, uh, um, you know, Nicolosi was the, 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 the kind of founder of that. And uh, and that was those were typically secular counselors um, who had been trained. Um, and gave the movement something of a uh, um, uh, a legitimacy mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of people's eyes. But, um, you know, today there's not a single program training people in reparative therapy. You know, it's, it's, there's, it's dead uh, pretty much. There may be a few practitioners here and there, and most of the ex-gay ministries have, have shut down or changed focus. Mm-hmm. There's still a few in the Restored Hope Network. But, um, but what happened is, you know, Frank Worthen, the first president of, of Exodus in the 1970s, was talking about a 70% cure rate. And that eventually dropped to a 50% cure rate and then a 25% cure rate. And then by 2012, uh, the last president of Exodus International, Alan Chambers, admitted that uh, Exodus and affiliated ministries uh, had had a 99.9% failure rate at changing sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And the 0.1% he had in mind, he later found out was a woman who said she's still bisexual. She was just happily married to her husband. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so the rate, the ability to, to change is, is negligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a little bit more with women. Lisa Diamond has done some research on sexual fluidity among women, which is not something gradual. It's typically something that just arises out of nowhere, unbidden and unwelcome and, mm-hmm. and uh, where, um, and it can go either way, but, um, and then there is an experience that some have had where they are exclusively same-sex attracted, but through an emotional attachment to one woman, they develop a sexual attraction to just one woman. And that's often when you see mixed orientation marriages where mm-hmm. it's, it's a, mm-hmm. one of them isn't straight. Uh, that's often what's happened. And it's a, a genuine sexual relationship. It, it's not forced, um, but that's pretty rare. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good overview of of the middle section of your book, um, which has, I'll say, an enormous amount of endnotes and phenomenal research as befitting a PhD in historical Christianity. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's about 650 endnotes in that book because I wanted to make sure everything was documented because I I can't say how many times I would be in a conversation. I'd I'd mention, you know, C.S. Lewis's struggle with sadomasochism and somebody would say, that's not true. And, and I'd tell them where to find it. And they say, that's not true. And so, well, you can look at the end note and yeah, you can follow there. the trail. It's, it's true. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's crazy. Uh, I am right on the same page with you. Actually, there's uh, your book didn't change my mind at all about anything. <laughs> but it's because I guess that's successful. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe I don't know, but I think I think what you're saying is um, so helpful and so articulate. You've been thinking about these things and feeling these things for much longer than I have, um, but it's but the concepts certainly are are not new to me. And so I, but on air, almost every page, I, my heart was just singing with like, okay, this is this is exactly the way to put it, and the research is is here. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. I'm, I'm, I was glad to write it. And uh, I'm not somebody who necessarily always enjoys writing. Sure. Um, I'm good at it. And so if something has to be done, I, I do it. But this this was one where I was talking to Nate Collins a couple years ago, and I was expressing the frustration that I felt because people didn't understand the backstory for all these questions about sexual identity mm-hmm. and yes, yes. whether you can be gay and be a Christian mm-hmm. committed to the sec- biblical sexual ethic. And, and I was just like, somebody has to write this book, mm-hmm. the, the just basic history of how we got here, because people don't understand that they're, they're reinforcing mm-hmm. and, and uh, they're, they're enforcing the, what really was the first step of conversion therapy when they keep telling people that they can't identify a certain way yeah. uh, and that that whole movement's dead now. So mm-hmm. why are they still enforcing its, its norms and practices? And, mm-hmm. and I remember he asked me, well, what, what kind of person would have to write that book? Like, what would that look like? And we brainstormed about a dozen things, you know, it would have to be a pastor who has experience pastoring sexual minorities. And mm-hmm. it, would really have to be somebody who's not straight because they'd need the credibility to speak to a very difficult, tender issue. Mm -hmm. And really they'd need to have a PhD in historical theology because that's how you learn to trace the change in belief and practice over time. And Mm -hmm. preferably they would have focused on transatlantic 20th century Anglo-American evangelicalism because that's where all of this happened. And they'd need to have been an ex-gay at some point so that they, Mm -hmm. and they need to have connections with people in the movement and they really need to be theologically really conservative because somebody, whoever writes this is going to be accused of slippery slope liberalism. Mm -hmm. And so if they're a complementarian who believes in the inerrancy of the Bible and a, you know, 15 point Calvinist, that's probably better. And, and, (laughs) you know, he went through all these things. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, well, I'm all 12 of those. And he Mm -hmm. told me you have to write this book. And so I wrote it. Yeah. Hey, Greg, if you could, if you could wave a wand and all of our churches would be doing three things or some, some big thing to, uh, to help with this issue, what would, what would it be? You know, I think there for churches that don't have a gospel culture, 
they've got to start there because mm-hmm. anything they do, mm-hmm. they're just going to injure anybody God brings them. Uh, you know, unless unless you realize, and this is true for all of us, unless you realize you are always the biggest sinner in the room and that you have a God who is not an angry ogre shaking a stick at you, but he's your dad and he's wild about you and you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus you have his resume, you fed the 5,000, you raised Lazarus from the dead, you always did what pleased the Father because Jesus' resume has your name on the top. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you're going to do to embellish that resume, and there's nothing you're going to do to taint it. Unless that's your heart and what your heart sings day and night, unless that's what gets you up out of bed, you're probably just going to hurt people. Mm-hmm. So it's not to go rush into ministry to your LGBT neighbor. It's to first make sure you get the gospel and your church mm-hmm. gets the gospel. Because that way, all of the complaining and criticizing gets drained out of the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the need to control people and fix people gets drained out of the church. Mm -hmm. Because if you realize you're the biggest sinner in the room and you're not fixed, you're not going to try to fix other people. You're going to try to walk with them and love them and support them and remind them again and again and again of the gospel of how loved they are. Um, That's that's the biggest thing. Without without Mm -hmm. gospel gospel culture, it's it's harm. And and even as as pastors, you know, we... um, you know, we have to ha- apply that to ourselves because otherwise we're going to start viewing somebody as a project, somebody that we have to fix. Um, there'll be pressure from somebody in your church to make this person stop saying things or stop acting a certain way. And, um, and as a pastor, you got to believe the gospel yourself and, and stick to your, your guns and live in accord with the gospel. Um, Another thing churches need to do, and this is for all of their single members, is bring them into the center of the church, not the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means refrigerator rights. That means somebody needs to know when their plane is landing. Somebody needs to know when they're sick or when they're out of town. Somebody needs to know when something's bothering them. They have to have family. Mm-hmm. And that's a little different from friendship. You want them to have mm-hmm. friendships in the church too, but family is a more committed thing. You're, you know, a family member, if a family member's sick, you, you, if a friend's sick, you feel bad for them. If, if a family member's sick, you go take care of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we could um, bring single people into the center, that would be huge. And I would say um, another thing is, um, and really a, a big thing, is we need to start teaching and preaching about celibacy and not just where sexual orientation is mm-hmm. concerned. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what St. Paul says about celibacy, what Jesus says about celibacy, I have never heard preached in an evangelical church unless I was the one preaching it. Mm. Um, you know, straight people, we need to be challenging our, our, our high school students, our college students to be praying about whether God is calling them toward marriage or toward celibacy. Mm-hmm. And we need to be encouraging, yes, our Jesus-loving teenage daughters to prayerfully consider and to walk out in faith and trust God and serve him, knowing that God will lead as, as we, as we're moving. Um, Because until we can look around and see straight Christians walking out biblical celibacy, then it's always going to feel like a double standard Mm -hmm. when a gay person becomes a Christian. So those would be three big, big things that can be done in terms of easy things. Read my book, get everybody to read my book. They've got to understand because that will drain the emotional abuse out of the church because Mm. right now what's happening in our churches is, is uh, gay believers are being um, abused in Mm -hmm. ways that Mm -hmm. we don't realize we're doing it. And so we got to, we got to educate ourselves. The other thing is there is a um, book um, that every pastor needs to have. um, Every ministry leader needs to have um, by um, Bill Henson of Posture Shift. Uh, he's been the most, um, I think, successful guy training churches in how to shift their posture from a culture war mindset to, mm-hmm. to a missional mindset with LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And, and he has a book called Guiding Families of LGBT Loved Ones. And about once a week, I get a phone call from a pastor um, and uh, because I am the most hated man in the Presbyterian church in America until your son or grandson tells you they're gay. Mm. And then you call me <laughs> with your tail between your legs <laughs> asking what to do. And the first thing yeah. I'm going to do is tell you get a hold of um, um, Bill Henson's posture shift, his, mm. his 
families of LGBT loved ones um, because it will walk you through step by step what you have to do when, when a young person in your church comes out to you. Um, unless they have been a, a history of abuse, that is probably the most traumatic experience of their life up mm-hmm. to that point. Mm-hmm. And you have such ability to wound them and destroy them. Mm-hmm. You also have such ability to minister and love them. Mm-hmm. And so just very step-by-step, um, the, the, the Guiding Families book will walk you through how to have that really important first follow-up conversation in which mom and dad say, we're so sorry that you've been going through this alone all this time. And we are really sorry that we weren't there with you. And we want to walk with you through your entire experience. Mm. And you ask if they've had suicidal ideation, you ask if they've been bullied, you, you find out if they feel safe at church, you, you, you get the care plan of who are the people that they can talk to you. And, and he tells you not to constantly hound on them, you know, to, to let them lead the way in terms of, 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 of additional conversation, mm-hmm. but, um, and he tells you all the things that as a parent, you're going to fall and you, you could fall into because the number one thing when a parent's kid tells them that they're gay is that it's just a phase. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to get back at me mm-hmm. and think would you have told your dad, you were gay just to get back at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you have told your gay dad, you were, you were gay. If you weren't pretty certain you were gay, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like if your kid's telling you this, it's it's probably, you have to yeah. work on the assumption that it's true. Yeah. But yeah, that's just all the practical pastoral stuff of what a parent has to do, uh, what a family has to do and, and how a pastor can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the most valuable book right now in the library. Hmm. OK. Greg, it's really good to see you again, man. Yeah, man, it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's a couple it's, decades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies, doesn't it? We're all getting uh, old. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. don't look like you're getting old. You know, I, I do what I can. You look like you were young. I mean, that's but that's been your whole life. You you look a lot younger than. I mean, I, I remember when I was eleven years old, or when I was uh, I was heading off to college, and I worked in a mall, a shoe store, and went down to Haagen Dazs on my uh, lunch break. I didn't know that I had a severe milk allergy yet. Um, and uh, the guy asked me how old I was when I was getting ready to pay, and I was confused told him like I was 18. Um, he said, okay. And I paid. And then on the way out, I saw a sign that said kids under 11 half off. <laughs> Here I was university of Virginia student wow. rising. Hey, you should have milked that for all it was worth. I know, yeah. but I mean, I was shaving 11, every day. See <laughs> <laughs> my shaving cut. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, it's good talking to you guys. Good talking yes, good to you, talking Greg. To you too. Thanks for Thanks, spending Greg. time with us. All, All right. right. Take it easy. Bye. As soon as we finished talking with Greg, Dave and I continued the conversation about what it means to follow Jesus as a non-straight person and also what we're learning from Greg's life and teachings. We're going to play that part of our conversation next week, so be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on your app right now so you don't miss it. But for now... Let's finish out this episode by replaying part of our most popular episode from 2021, Linus in the Resurrection. Hey, Willie, do you remember my dog, Linus? Oh, yeah. And Lucy. Linus and Lucy. Linus, Linus and Lucy, the two Jack Russell Terriers. And they were really cute. They were adorable. Super energetic. Yep, wonderful had them dogs. a long time ago, yeah. And uh, they loved to, to chase things. Linus was a killer. I mean, yeah. he, he went in the backyard and he killed things. Uh-huh. Uh, squirrels. Rabbits, and, squirrels. Yeah. Uh, rats. Yeah. Yeah, he, he birds. He he killed a blackbird. I didn't know bird. about birds. He ran down the yard and he he jumped and he plucked a blackbird off the fence. What? Yeah, it was facing the other way. Not I don't attention. remember that he at all. Plucked him right off the fence. Oh my goodness! Um, and then all the blackbirds were dive bombing him for a few days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just pranced around. He didn't you know, with care. Setup. Oh, he, he yeah. knew why they were doing he it. Was he was a stud. He was yeah. strutting. Yeah, I saw him uh, catch a squirrel and and he he shook the thing so hard it was like a blur, and he threw mm. it down and I, mm. it was it was actually upsetting to me. Because it was so violent and so is frequent. that right? Yeah, so it was, you know they're bred to, to chase foxes down holes. I saw him catch a squirrel like by the tail, but the squirrel actually got away. Like yeah. he nipped it, and the squirrel got away. But yeah, so I've got I've got tons of stories about these dogs and vermin. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, and well, let me start by this. Do you remember the, uh, Tickle Me Elmo? Yes, yeah. yes. So I don't know where we got this Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> I, I I don't remember how we got it, but 
the dogs. Because this was before the kids. Yes, it was before the kids. So I don't know where it came from. Um, but the, it made the dogs furious. You got it for it, Christmas or something. I, something like that. It must have, I, I think you got it for Christmas. My wife will know. I I'll have to ask that. my wife. Yeah. But you know this thing, you tick, you, you push it in the belly. Oh, yeah. It was the, it was the must-have toy some, whatever yeah. year that was. And it would, it would laugh. And uh-huh. then if you squeeze him again, he would laugh harder. Right. And if you squeeze him again, he would laugh harder and start shaking. Shaking, yeah. yeah. That's right. He would like vibrate. <laughs> he would or vibrate. He, he, like yeah. his, his yeah. arms and legs yeah. would go. and He, he would flip out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and then the dogs would flip out. So yeah. it, as soon as I squeeze that, you know, <laughs> that tickles. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The dogs would flip out. You know, uh-huh. And they'd come running and, and they would go to work on Elmo. Uh-huh. And he would just be laughing at them. <laughs> when he started shaking because they're biting down into his his guts as hard as they can and he's laughing and then they uh they ripped his legs and arms off though yes um so the 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 middle part was pretty tough and we actually uh we kept that box out of the middle of elmo we put it in in other things oh is that right yeah we we uh, elmo lived on into that was after i knew y'all yeah and other dog toys not after i knew you but later on yeah yeah he almost survived into other dog toys and oh my goodness it made him crazy. Um, but talking about yeah, he squirrels. he was nuts. Yeah. Linus in particular. I think Lucy liked it too, but Linus would get like yeah. crazy eyes yeah. with, with, the, <laughs> right. with the Elmo. He, he would lock on. And then, you, I remember you, the first time I saw him, you pulled him. You pulled Elmo out and he was all raggedy already. Yeah. And he was like, he still had the red fur on him, but it was, it yeah. looked horrible and it was all, and <laughs> as soon as you pulled it out, uh, Linus, I mean, he, he went into a different mode. He yeah. was he was pretty energetic he was dog in anyway. Mode. But he was in a crazy yeah. mode. Yeah. Because <laughs> this this thing he's trying to kill is just mocking him. Yeah. <laughs> that tickles. That tickles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just made him so incensed. Yeah. yeah. Was, yeah, he did get crazy eyes, and he, he, he got, would, yeah, man, he, he went could, nuts. He would latch on. I could spin him around in a circle, and he would just oh yeah, hang you could do anything. Jaw. You could you could probably shoot him with a gun. He wouldn't do anything. Yeah, well, I got to tell you a story about uh, okay. the time we were trying to sell our house yeah. in St. Louis. Okay, um, I was off uh, out of the house doing something, and yeah. my wife was there, and she had the twin boys, yeah, and Lucy and Linus, yeah, and she got a call from the realtor. So they're at babies. Night. They're little babies. Little babies. Yeah, yeah. little tiny. I had twin boys, and they were uh-huh. tiny, uh-huh. and we were very tired. Yeah, and trying to sell a house. Yeah, and uh, keep it clean and ready for people oh, to come. Oh, heavens! Yeah. How do you do that? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. So he called, and uh, I wasn't there to help her, and so this is really her story. Okay, um, but uh, I'll tell it for her. Yeah, she's not here. Yeah. So uh, he brings a couple over. Okay, and they have their. Uh, the grandparents and their children. So oh it's a whole yeah. family. Big family, yeah. yeah. And they're walking around the house. And yeah. while, while this is just before they get there, Linus has trapped a squirrel in the walkout basement <laughs> stairwell. <laughs> a squirrel got down in there. A squirrel, he was trying to get away from him. And oh, he, yeah. And he ran down the basement steps and realized, oh, I'm trapped. Uh huh. And then the dogs are down there, you know, barking at him and yeah. yipping, and, and, and it was getting bloody, apparently. Oh, my gosh. And. Uh, the family's walking around the house yeah. while she's out there trying to get this yeah. chaos yeah, yeah, calmed yeah. down. Um, and eventually, they come out back, and she's like, "Oh no, what am I going to do?" And the squirrel who's wounded, yeah, and and the poor squirrel. I mean, mm, mm. my heart is, yes. is beating for the squirrel. Um, but he made its last ditch effort to to survive this assault, and uh-huh. he latched on Linus's face. Uh. He bit him in the, like the cheek, uh-huh. and he wouldn't let go. Okay. And Linus came tearing out of the stairwell with a squirrel on his head, <laughs> <laughs> just as people are walking out. <laughs> and here's the backyard. And Linus comes tearing up with a squirrel like a wild bronco, and the tail's flying oh all over the gosh. place. And And finally, Linus gets it off. And kills it in front of the family. Oh my gosh! And throws it down. The squirrel's just <laughs> yeah. sitting there, you know, taking its last gasps. Oh. And uh, and Linus is bleeding from his face. Yeah. And and the kids are screaming. Yeah. Um. And the the <laughs> the, the wonderful realtor 
uh, said, oh, let me get a bag. I'll, I'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he sacked up the squirrel. And Linus he was trying to get into his kennel, and he, he dripped blood on the kitchen floor. Oh, and my it, goodness. It was, it was chaos. Chaos. But those are the people that bought the house. No. Yeah. So that, I guess they figured it was a house of action and entertainment. They've got a great story that they're telling for the rest of their lives. That's and right. the realtor, too. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I've never heard that story. That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Linus was a good dog. He was the best. Uh, I had him 10 years. Yeah. He, he died. Um, he was hit by a bus. Mm. Uh, mm. Broke my heart. I mean, it crushed me. Yeah. Uh, he was a yeah. really, really special dog. He was. Um, so smart. Yes. And such a, you know, my, I called him my champion because yeah. he was he was a stud. He was. Um, and, and I'd be sitting there watching TV at night, and he would sit there on the floor and look at me. Yeah. He wouldn't look away. He'd stare right at my face yeah. um, until I realized he was sitting there looking at me. Mm. And I would either say, come on up, and he would jump up in my lap and mm-hmm. lay there. Um, or I'd say, go lay down, and he would go in his bed and lay down. But until mm-hmm. I said one of those two things, he sat there looking yeah. at me, waiting for me wow. to give him instruction. And yeah, um, yeah that uh, when he passed, I... I I had the hardest time getting out of bed for mm. days. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, that he was quite a dog. Mm. Mm. But C.S. Lewis, I think, said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the relationship between a human and a dog is the closest we'll get to Adam with the animals mm. prior to the fall. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I can certainly see that. I yeah, yes, it'll be another time. But I I understand that bond as well um he also said that the scripture doesn't say so we don't know but he said i suspect that any animal who is named will be in heaven Hmm. that's interesting you know obviously we don't know what we're going to see indeed first um, there are all kinds of accounts, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if that's a, a topic for the hopper or not, but uh, of people who had near-death experiences, they're all over the internet. Right? I think, yeah, let me write that down. That's a yeah. topic for the hopper for sure. Um, and they, there are some commonalities, and it makes you wonder if this uh, has become a culture, like alien mm-hmm. abduction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and as long as you, you say something along that culture, it's believable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know what's happening. There, are, there are some pretty profound stories sure. too that sure. that make you that make you wonder and give you pause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of a, a scientific minded person, yeah, a natural skeptic, yeah. and you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. and I, extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. Absolutely, kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you wonder, uh, and I've I've even asked God, and I don't know if this is appropriate or not. Um, but I've asked him that if I pass, mm-hmm. that I could see Linus, mm. and that would be the first indication mm. that everything's going to be okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when my Zoe died, um, I remember that somebody sent me a, a little cartoon that was super helpful that had a picture of uh, an old, obviously old man uh, coming into the gates of heaven, you know, and, and St. Peter's there, and uh, and then a little dog um, that is running up to see the, this old man, and, uh, and St. Peter is saying, oh, you must be little Timmy. Uh... uh Ranger here has been going on and on and on about you. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like that's the relationship that you had with Linus. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, I've heard people say that that, uh, animals don't have souls. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know that scripturally, uh, God gave Adam a body mm-hmm. and then he breathed into him the spirit yes and he became a nefesh a soul mm-hmm. a living being yeah yeah and when people ask me these questions I, I, I've done Bible studies out in public arenas and I've get I've got asked all kinds I'm sure you have too, oh yeah oh, all yeah. kinds of questions Tons. yeah 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 uh, one guy was asking if, if ants have souls mm-hmm. and my reply was sure they do they have the soul of an ant mm-hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, their DNA is ant DNA. Mm-hmm. And they have the life force or spirit or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are a living being, but they're, yes. they're an ant. They're an ant, yeah. And um, I don't know when we're, when we're glorified. Yes. And we become some higher form, mm-hmm. some some we're recreated closer mm-hmm. to deity, yeah, mm-hmm. immortal. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you know we know that 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 we're going to be in some way closer to God. I I wonder mm-hmm. about the animals. Mm-hmm. I wonder because uh, we we believe that there's a lot of continuity. Yes, with our life yes. in the next. Yes, but that it's going to be better. Thanks for listening to The Hopper Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't. Write us at thehopperpodcast at gmail.com or record a short voice memo on your phone and send it to thehopperpodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we will discuss the long-lasting effects of the Cabbage Patch dolls on our society. Mm, Deep, deep. Yes, I'm sure you know someone who needs to listen to The Hopper. Be a pal and share The Hopper goodness. Send them a link, and if they still don't listen, give them a wet willy. That's a great idea. Be sure to subscribe or follow. Our special thanks this week goes to our lawn care advisor, Moses Lonergan. Yeah, thanks, Moses Lonergan. And again. And again and again.